Hey, it's me, Marquis. Did you know that we have a YouTube channel and it's the number one place on the platform for all things Asana? Inside, you'll find demos and tutorials that cover everything from getting started with Asana to how-tos on how to utilize the more advanced business and enterprise features that power the workflows of hundreds of thousands of satisfied users around the world. Visit asanasolutions.com to subscribe, like, and follow along so you don't miss a thing. Welcome to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Mark E. Murray. In Systems We Trust dives into all things systems and processes and interviews the professionals who are using them to change the landscape of their organizations every day. Are you ready for more clarity? Here we go. Welcome back to another episode of In Systems We Trust. My name is Marquis. I'm your host. And today I'm excited for this conversation, uh, catching up with a longtime friend, someone I met several years ago. We've kept in touch and we're talking about all things uh, agencies and e-commerce. And so Rachel Jacobs is the name of my guest. And Rachel is a leading authority in scaling e-commerce agencies. And she specializes in implementing best practices to achieve profitable and efficient growth. Whether it's building scalable retainer models or coaching high-performance leadership teams, Rachel simplifies the process of scaling e-commerce agencies, enabling owners to focus on taking their business to the next level. Welcome to the show, Rachel. So excited to have you here. I appreciate you having me on board. When taking things to the next level hopefully means selling your business. That's the goal. Yes. Scaling, growing, exiting, whatever that may yeah. look like. We're going to talk about all of that today. So I'll, I'll hand it over to you. I'd love to know, I mean, I know a bit about your backstory, but love you to elaborate on really how you got your start and what initially sparked your interest in the e-commerce agency space. Uh, it kind of happened, I think, like most people by accident, like that's all of us in our 20s where we're just kind of like stumbling from one job to another and like one boss pisses you off and you're like, I'm out of here, fucker, I'm done. And then you get another job and another job and another job. So I fell into the startup world in operations and ran a Silicon Valley backed um, tech company in the AWS space. And then through that, then find my way into the startup world, but in e-commerce. So I was on the tech side first. Um, like a, a, a chief marketing officer and as part of that work then i started building out partner program with agencies and started getting used to the e-commerce space so that was probably eight years ago now uh, seven or eight years ago and then i started consulting with various businesses one of them was a an agency and then then i accidentally after a night out agreed to join the agency as coo so that was a happy accident i suppose and it okay. really was a baptism of fire. I came into that business. It was a design and build agency, one of the leading Shopify plus agencies in London. Um, and it was design and build. And my background really was in, in marketing. So I came in and I'm like, where's where's the money? Like, where's the profit? What are we doing here? Yeah. Um, and then we started building out this retention stack based on Clavio uh, at the core and then all of the other solutions around it. And it scaled really quickly, really significantly. And growth rating was what clients were looking for. So it just gave some sort of reprieve to the agency between this like ebb and flow of the market where it's like lots of projects, no projects, lots of projects, no projects, where you have that like baseline of like recurring revenue. Um, so I did that for a few years. And then after I did that, I thought if I did it for one, I can do it for more. And then a few yeah. people knew me in the industry and I started working with a couple of people and I was still doing tech stuff. And I just really realized that I didn't really enjoy doing the tech stuff as much as I enjoyed. So I just thought, balls to the wall, 
typical Rachel fashion, all are now playing. So I was like, I'm going to cut all of these contracts and I have one client that's paying me a thousand euros a month. And I uh, cut basically 70 to 90% of my revenue and let's, let's just see what this baby can do. And then within, yeah. and I worked like a dog, like I really worked like a dog and I knocked on doors and I spoke to people and like e-commerce agencies send them my way. And I built like this program around it and done some training academies and agency academies um, online and in person and built this four pillar approach to skating an agency. Um, <laughs> and then now it's four years later and I'm the leader, the leading authority in the world for e-commerce agencies. Uh, yeah. And I work, consult with some of the biggest tech partners in the industry. I'm doing a big conference in Toronto, as you know, in a few weeks. And I have some of yeah. the, the leaders in the industry that are putting money behind it, 400 agencies that are coming. So it's been, it's been an experience, but I really, I'm so passionate about agencies and agencies that are exclusively in the e-commerce space because even though there's lots of amazing i know that you've come across lots of amazing agency coaches yeah. there's something to be said for being very niche in the e-commerce space and i think that's allowed me to really carve out this path and build this network of eight thousand agencies which is extremely valuable to the agencies that are there and also the partners that i collaborate with so yeah. It's been fun, exhausting, but fun. I'm 36 now and I started this at 31. So I'm just like, fuck up. Like, where's all that time gone? Yeah, I yeah. can imagine how exhausting that would be. I mean, the, the clients, the demands, and you, you said something off the top to, to further clarify the point in the bio where I said next level, right? So that hopefully like shifts them towards an exit. But you also said something that was interesting. You came into your first agency by accident, you know, funny how that happened but you know you, you talked about like where's the profit where's the revenue so are, are, are those some of the common problems it's that agencies don't understand how to you know increase their profit margins and when you come in as the agency coach now where do you start like how, how do you start building them up to the point where they can have that solid foundation to hopefully scale effectively yeah, I mean, the profitability, I would say there's agencies have a lot of problems. Um, I think typically the core four, as I call them, are pipeline, people, process, and profits. It's actually yeah. the, the pillars for the conference. This is not a conference plug, but that's the pillars for the conference that I'm doing in Toronto in a few weeks. But yeah, they're typically the four core problems. Typically for an agency that's like less than 10 people, usually maybe a little bit more, a little bit less, but less than 10. It's all pipeline related. It's like deals and, and sales and stuff like that. And the reality is you just need to, you just need to eat it. Like you just need to just keep going and you need to yeah. build credibility and you like, that's, it is what it is. There is no silver bullet or quick fix. So once they get past that stage, it's typically then a people and process problem. So when you get to like 10 to like 30 people, it's kind of a combination of getting the right processes in place and getting the right people in place and then scaling that. Once you yeah. get to about 20, 30 and up, it's people process pipeline and worst of all profit so typically now that i'm further along in my journey uh, i really focus on that final piece where it's like you have the pipeline you have a core team you have fairly established what it is that you're doing and you have some sort of process as a foundation but the profitability is lacking so typically for a healthy agency i would expect it it's pretty easy when you come in and you look at the numbers and you're like you're doing an average of five percent profit a year is going on like where is your money mm -hmm. going yeah. um but typically i would expect an agency to be sitting somewhere around roughly 20 percent even if that's what i would be looking for 
an agency okay. that's growing really quickly um or yeah it's going through like a growth phase it probably between somewhere between 15 and 20. if you're 10 to 15 then it's much easier and that's really what i look for in agencies if you're an agency that's close to 10 and then between that mark getting them up to the 15 or 20 percent it requires some work and tweaking and moving people around and firing some people and hiring some people and buttoning up things and building some services um yeah but if you're below 10 percent you've got you've got a a lot of work to do you're you're maybe growing too quickly or you're just not a lot of so many agencies just don't even track their time so when yeah. i come in if i speak to an agency and i'm like where is that money going they're like i actually don't know because nobody tracks their time and i'm like okay where do i start yeah it's like start tracking your time and come back to me in six months i don't i don't have any data i can't make any recommendations well i can but it's not based on data Recommendation number one is track your time, right? And like me on, <laughs> like, I see the exact same thing coming in, right? We want to understand where our time's going. We want to understand how we can make our teams more efficient, how we can be more profitable. And though I don't deal on the, on the finances side of things, I deal with more efficiency and effectiveness within the teams. I see the same problems, right? And so tracking your time is so crucial. I'm curious though, when it comes to the profit margins, you said if you're like below 10% then, or between 10 and 15, sorry, you want to work with people to bring them closer to that 20. Where do you typically see, like, what are the trends? Are you coming in and seeing that 10% time after time? Or is it is it lower than that for a lot of these agencies you work with? To be honest, a lot of agencies, it's much lower. A lot of agencies yeah. basically come to me and like, I have no um, uh, consistent pipeline. I don't have any real cash flow and I need to turn things around in three months. And it's just like, it's like getting nine pre women pregnant and expecting a baby in one month. That's just not how it works. I don't know. You could give it a go, but I'm pretty <laughs> certain that's against biology. So sure. yeah, typically a lot of agencies are coming in and they've, you know, they've worked hard to get some momentum and they kind of, they, they're running before they can actually walk. And that, that yeah. is often the case. And, and with those sort of agencies, you see that they tend to fluctuate a lot. They have the 15 yeah. people and then, oh, now we've got eight people. And then now we've got 12. Now we're back to six and and it's just like they just didn't have those solid foundations and they weren't yeah. looking at the numbers. Like I cannot impress enough how many entrepreneurs. So I've I've worked with, well, I, I stopped counting at the end of last year, but over 150 people, maybe close to 200 at this stage between the one-on-one -on -one stuff and the group coaching that I run. Okay. But I've yeah. consulted with over a thousand agencies. And I would say of the thousand agencies I've spoken to, probably... 80% of them don't know their numbers. And it is absolutely wow. mind boggling to me to run a business and not know what your numbers are. And because yeah. we're in an industry, I was speaking to a friend last night who runs an agency and uh, he was saying that this is like one of the only industries where there's zero barrier to entry. Like literally anybody can run an agency, which is why yeah. you tend to find a lot of people selling snake oil and charlatans. and exactly and people yeah. who just do shit work and then you as an agency end up with all the abused traumatized people that have worked with all of the people that are just shit at what they do and they're just like yeah. good talkers um but there is zero barrier to entry and a lot of the agency owners are agency owners through default they had a skill whether it was sales or marketing or development or design and then they did it themselves and then it kind of snowballed and spiraled and then you speak to them and they don't know their arse from their elbow when it comes to the actual numbers and the fundamentals yeah. of what it takes to run a business and understanding projections and cash flow and efficiency and you know 
operationalizing a business. They're just like, no, no, no. I know how to sell this or I know how to build this or I know this particular pain point. And it's just like, yeah. But for me, that's really, I don't have any specific skill sets. Operations, yes, but operations is so T shaped that it's not really a skill set. Maybe talking shite with maybe be my top skill. But yeah. I understand business exceptionally well. Like, I really understand the rudiments of having a profitable business. And I'm not afraid yeah. to make executive decisions. Um, I'm not emotionally invested in the company. So I can come in and say, yeah. That person's got to go. Like that is a waste of money. Get rid of them. They're not. They're not performing the job that you're paying them six figures to do. And yeah. a lot of business owners, they they just don't. Their their heart gets in the way of making the right decision. Yeah, totally. Back to the the numbers, or at least knowing your numbers. I mean, going back to your your four core P's here: the pipeline, people, process, and profit. It's almost like they're 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 destined, you know, to to suffer and and not know their numbers and get in the weeds because. They focus on pipeline, right? It's grow, 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 bring in as much as you can. Um, as soon as we get to the point where we, you know, are, have sold a client, it's like, okay, we got to service them now. So how do we do that? We hire someone, right? We're not looking at margins. We're not looking at capacity and getting people to to bandwidth. And then w it's almost like we skip over the process, right? Like there's, there's no process in there. And then because we miss process, we miss profit and we've, we've rushed into the people. So it's almost like you can't blame them, right? Like they don't know their numbers because they're so focused on pipeline, pipeline, pipeline and getting more, but they don't have time to uh, really exactly. think about anything else. So question there is, let's start at the top. How do you effectively teach the importance of proper pipeline, um, I guess, distribution, you know, people management and onboarding and then process and profit? How do they all connect to each other? And if if they don't have the pipeline, how are you getting them to the point where we can actually start scaling the business properly? Well, I mean, I think I'll start with the last question first. If they don't have the pipeline, probably should be working with me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because sure. I don't. If they don't have the pipeline, then they shouldn't be investing in an outside party. I'm always pretty upfront about that. I know that there's a lot of great agency coaches out there, and you know they specialize in the sales side of things. It's not that I don't specialize in sales. I run process boot camps throughout the year, and I have a a private mastermind exclusive for e-commerce agencies and one of the four nine five groups owners delivery leadership sales and operations but one of those groups is dedicated to sales and i have a fractional sales director who coaches the all the sales people and the, the people that are selling in the agency largely owners on yeah. best practice sales so if you don't have sales coming through the business, then investing in somebody else to bring you sales is probably not going to be a good idea. Sales comes down to, essentially, you have inbound, outbound, and partnerships. They're the, your three sales strategies. Yeah, Outbound is like 1% to 3%. So a lot of people, they just get through a load of um, leads or data. They pull a load of uh, data from you know whatever platform they're using, built with or something like that. And then outbound emails, and that rarely works very well. So... Then inbound is like 20 to 25%, but you need some momentum mm -hmm. and you need some credibility. You need case studies, you need marketing. And then partnerships is like 40 to 60%. And for a lot of agencies, that's typically where I would recommend they start. Like if you need a like business right now, you need a network, whether it's strategic partnerships with other agencies or tech solutions or platform, that's where you want to look because it's 40 to 60%. So that's where you're going to get your biggest win. So for yeah. those type of agencies, you just need to do the work. It's like all of us as entrepreneurs, when I was starting my business, 
I was knocking on doors, kicking down doors, telling literally, even in the supermarket, you can do. in the street, when I was passing people in cars and they had their window open, like literally anybody that was in <laughs> spitting distance, I was letting them know that I was open for business and this was my target audience. And I think uh, that's probably one of my biggest takeaways from my journey as an entrepreneur is I knew exactly who I was targeting. I knew exactly the pain points and I knew how to communicate that effectively. I was never a salesperson ever in my career. But if uh, I know who I'm targeting and what their challenges are and what the recommended solutions, it is like shooting fish in a barrel when you have the right people in front of you. So that would be that piece. The second piece then, which is like the people and process, those two things do people tend to take over because you're dealing with emotions and hormones and personalities. Yeah. And like, I, oh, I think I must say this to every single client I work with, if it wasn't for the people, this business would be super fucking easy because the people is the hardest bits. You have like yeah. egos and people who mean well, and it's just really hard to navigate all that. And a lot of business owners are just not equipped for that softer side of leadership that is necessary to have a team working well. And then I would say nine out of 10 agencies that I work with process is like they're allergic to it. It's just the whole thought of having to like document something and put a process yeah. in place and effectively it's like almost against their religion. Like that's how alien it is to them. For me, yeah. I am somebody who's very like systems and processes and like checks and balances. So that's the way I've always been because I've been in operations for a decade. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's pretty straightforward, but for a lot of people, I think that's pretty typical of most entrepreneurs anyway. It's just like, I have this vision, I have this dream, I have this talent and all of the other shit. It's like, oh, it'll just figure itself out the number. I'm like that when it comes to finance. I'm just yeah. like, oh my God, I have to send people invoices. Oh my, this is like the least contracts and invoices. I'm just like, if I could just pull the money side out of business, I, it would be fantastic because I absolutely hate it. The money and um, the people, get rid of them. I don't mind the people, so I can deal with the people. I'm on like, I'm on calls. I mean, you know, yeah. my schedule's crazy, right? I'm on calls, yeah. you know, and on good days, six hours a day. So I don't mind the people and I can go from being on a call with someone who is broken down in tears and then jumping on another call with somebody who's like, oh my God, I just bought a house and then jump on another call with someone that I'm having this major crisis in my business. And then another call with someone like we've had this massive win and you have to like uh -huh. adapt. So I can do that. But the money side, I've been asking my husband for years, can he just like deal with it for me? And he says, no, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's the worst, but we all have that as entrepreneurs, right? We all have parts of business that we don't enjoy. You do. And, and that's the importance of the documentation, right? It's like, it, it's your job as the entrepreneur not to keep doing the same things that you started the business doing. It's to bring in people to delegate so you can, can continue focusing on growth and scaling the company because that's where your team really needs you. So <laughs> because I know like we're, we're talking about money here and profit, I know you're, you're working with a lot of your teams to help them develop retainer models. So what are some of those strategies that you help them um, to, to put into place in their businesses so that they can have a more sustainable recurring model with, with a lot of their clients and, and, or their products, I should say. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it depends really on the agency. I've worked with Clavio on a consultancy basis for a number of years now and, and have built out a couple of courses for them. Uh, the latest one being around building a retainer model around Clavio. Um, okay. So I guess it really depends if you're working with a development agency, like the agency I came into, a design and build agency, putting yeah. a retainer model in there. I think for a lot of people, it's just the basic support and maintenance 
time and materials type model. Here's a block of ours. You just tell me what you want done and then we'll take it from the bank of ours that you've paid for. I think for yeah. the agencies that really want to push more towards retainers, um, typically what I'm looking at is like retainer models that are more value-based pricing, growth-based retainers. You don't need to be a Facebook ad specialist. I don't know if anybody calls it Facebook anymore, but you know, a meta expert or Google ad specialist, you just need to be able to understand this is my target audience. These are the eight to 10, five to 10 solutions that are spinning around their world. How do I bring some sort of package together that is part of their reality? And I can make sure all of those solutions and technologies are um, working in unison and harmony and they're getting the most ROI. I actually have one of my agencies in the group, he's doing a lightning talk in Toronto about how he's built out this amazing retention department around his core tech stack. So I think he's got like yeah. five or seven different technologies that he puts all of his clients on. And he's built out this amazing uh, retainer model. By when I started working with him, oh, cool. it was a TNM, a time and materials model. And then I came on board and I'm like, dude, this is a fucking amazing offering but you need to productize and you need to package it up. So once we started like working through it, he went from having this very uh, reactive approach to clients. They had stuff in the bank and they had access to all this stuff to then basically it was like night and day from being almost zero recurring revenue to within six months, I think we were at close to 200K recurring revenue just because he changed the pricing model around it. So the yeah. work is almost always oh, there. It's just how it's positioned and packaged up to the clients. Yeah. Um, so much of what you're saying, I'm really thinking, because you are the expert in this. You've been doing this for a long time. Your your listeners um, today, even your audience, like they want to know, like a lot of the questions I'm sure you get all the time is, how do we do it? How do we scale, right? You coming through it all, first off, and then secondly, working with the amount of agencies that you have worked with, what would you do today? What would your model look like today? If you were starting an agency, you already talked about, you know, telling everyone that you know about it. That's great. But I want to know, like, what systems and tools are you using? Who are you hiring and when? What model are you adopting for this? Can you break that down for us? To, like, yeah, I think if I if I was crazy enough to run an agency now, I am crazy, but I don't know if I'm like not that crazy. 12 out of 10 crazy to do an agency. Well, my, if I they asked my husband, he certainly wouldn't agree. He'd say I am full 10 out of 10 crazy and he's probably right. But if I was that crazy to actually build an agency now, um, and it's interesting because I get asked this question a lot, a lot of agencies that I work with, and they're just like, of Rachel, you, you know all the answers. Why don't you just build your own business? Like you'd blow us all out of the water. And my simple answer is because I make more profit as a three-person business than you do as an 80-person business. So yeah. like, what? Why? why would I trade that and have 80 people that I need to take care of? So that's the simple answer. But if I was going to do it, I am biased. So I would double down on Klaviyo. That's what I, I would do personally. That's the tool that I would double down on uh, purely because I think there are lots of other email solutions out there for this e-commerce industry. I personally don't think that there's any that come close to that. I work very closely with the company. So I know more about the product and how it's, it's planning to develop over you know, the coming months and years. So for me, it yep. just is a smart bet. Um, and also with a, a tool like that, and whether it's Claver, you use a competitor. I don't know any of the other names of competitors, obviously, because I'm, you know, indoctrinated. Doesn't matter. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's not my reality. It's against my religion. You drank the juice, Rachel. You drank the juice. Yeah, exactly. I need to get like commission for this shit or get like an affiliate code or something. No Um, kidding. But all of the technologies that live around that are super interesting. So I can plug in then subscription solutions, personalization solutions, review solutions, loyalty solutions, and build this retention stack. Um, And you are printing money for clients. Of course, there's some finesse. Um, So that's probably what I do. And I'd have a core team. My client facing team would be a core team in house. I don't, they don't need to be in my office here for sure. No, but they would be a core team in house. And then I would run then off a network of contractors or freelancers or whatever that are working in the background on a project basis for profitability purposes. Um, so that's what I do there and become an authority. I would pick a very specific niche. So in my case, I would probably go after like the food and drinks industry, something that has subscription involved in it, um, but like a food and drinks industry or like a supplements type business, but something where there's like repeat customers. So I can look at subscription memberships, loyalty, retention, personalization. Those are all things that I can do in that profile of customer. It's a similar, the metrics are the same. Um, so that would be that side. It would allow me to be an authority in a very specific niche. And then the other thing that I would double down on is the consultancy piece. I think a lot of people were all talking about AI right now and how that's going to change the market and are copywriters going to be out of jobs. I think maybe some of them, but the good ones, no. Designers going to be out of jobs, almost certainly. Developers going to be out of jobs, quite likely. So I think as an agency um, and being in this e-commerce space that's emerging so quickly, leading with consultancy and strategy really is going to be the big difference. I work with some of my agency clients where they're charging 30, 40, 50 K just for strategy packages. And I think that piece, that biggest value add where you position yourself as a thought leader, that's probably the route that I would go down and charge a premium for that, knowing that I know the industry so well, and then work back. Okay. Um, I want to, I want to go back to the core team for a second. That was an incredible breakdown by the way, um, who does your core team consist of then, right? Yeah, they may they may not be like in your office, the remote, but do you have like, this is your client facing team. So is this an account manager? You've got, you know, some delivery people or some designers, some creatives, like how many, and maybe talk about the like levels that you would like scale to um, as the business grows. Yeah. Um, I would say client facing team, sure. It would, depending if it was me and the, the example that I gave, if I was going to build like that retention type agency, then of course I would need a strategist. You need a really good uh-huh. strategist who's client facing and somebody who comes from the industry and walks the walk and talks the talk and knows all the solutions. You need a really good account or project manager. Um, I think in terms of a core team, and then probably in that case, there would be like a copywriter and or a designer. Copywriter, I would probably keep that person in house. Designer would probably be the last one. But in terms of that core team, I would probably have like three or four people that are in house. Maybe a finance person because we all know that I hate the finance. Um, but you could you can outsource. I could contract that out, or I have contracted it out. Yeah. Um, so that would be my core team, and then all of the other stuff that would be like additional designers, uh, developers, uh, copywriters, like all of those type of people. Um, I would just have those on a contract basis. For me personally, this is my personal preference. I would never want to have an agency at scale. Like when I see some of my agencies, like I'm talking to them and they're like 50, 80, 100 people. And I'm like, oh, no, it's not for me. So I would probably be more on the side of running a lifestyle business 
and you can run, right. I know an agency that runs a lifestyle, a, a lifestyle business. He's about 10 people. He's in the performance marketing space and he takes home a minimum of half a million a year for himself. So for okay. me, I would much rather run a tighter leadership and say, I'm only going to have 20 clients max a year and yeah. I'm aiming for about two to three million and I want to be sitting at 30 to 40% profit margin. For me, once you get over that hump and then you have to start getting like teams of teams of teams and then operations people and process people and HR people. And it's, for yeah. me, it's too serious. That, that feels a, way too mature. That's such a great way to think about it. And for you, like you've established that in your mind that you know that you want to run a lifestyle business. You know what like enough looks like for you. I feel like a lot of agencies and entrepreneurs, they just want to keep going and they don't know where they're going quite often. They have, I mean, in my opinion, they don't have goals. They have any time I speak to a company, right? And I ask them, okay, what are the goals? Oh, we're, we're developing the goals, right? Oh, they're coming. Like they have no idea where they're going and they never actually implement anything. So I think for you, like it's important to have that distinction. So you know exactly where you're going. So you know what the day to day needs to look like. Um, I was going to ask you something about positioning and maybe we'll come back to that. But something you said in your previous answer about AI and chat GPT, I want to go back to that a little bit because I've been having a few conversations about this on the podcast recently, and I'm going to share this on my screen. If you're watching on YouTube, um, you'll this here, but um, Rachel, you put out this post on LinkedIn a couple days ago. It says um, unpopular yeah, opinion alert. I don't see the big deal with chat GPT. It's good but not worth the hype in my opinion, is it just me? So we've got this poll, 56% of the people have said yes so far, 17% have said no, and 27% have said give it some time. So I would love for you to elaborate on this because the conversations I'm having are that people are like adopting this tool, uh, adopting um, ChatGPT and AI and really leaning into it, right? And you have this opinion. So I'd love to know where that came from and what your thoughts are on where AI is going because I can only imagine, right? If you were to start recommending some AI tools for your clients, it would make their jobs and your jobs so much easier. So right. talk about this for well, a minute. Well, first please. things first, first things first, 50 cent, 56% of the people are wrong, obviously, because I'd say that's it. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> they said yes. No, I think ChatGPT, I think is a great tool. I'm not saying that it's not a good tool. I think it depends on the use case. There was a lot of comments in the, like a lot of chat in the comments that people were like, well, you just don't know what you're doing. And you don't. I, I, I agree that with most AI solutions, that it comes down to the commands that you're putting into the, the tool and you're going to get out as much as you put in. AI has been around for a long time. I think ChatGPT is yeah. just a craze right now. But like when I was in my, got my first, C-level position for a startup company when I was 26 or 27, AI was around then and we were leveraging AI tools. I think just now it's just a little bit more sexier and, and people have a use case for it. Yeah. I think for the majority of people, specifically with ChatGPT, they're not using it for the right reasons. So my husband is yeah. an investor and he's like, oh, I would just rather ask ChatGPT than, than go on Google. And I'm just like, it's not Google. That's not the value of ChatGPT. Sure, it'll condense down some of the articles, but it's all biased depending on which articles are at the top of the Google ranking. Um, but I think AI, when used correctly, can be exceptionally powerful. So I have some agencies that have uh, used AI for automations internally and for their clients. Some agencies that are now using AI for like mid-journey for some of their designs. So they're like one-off and, and awesome. clients 
yeah, love it. So they're they're making good money from doing that. Um, I have one agency I know that is leveraging it for spinning up fairly simple and straightforward uh, Shopify stores. So I think you're going to continue to see a lot of that stuff. I think the agencies that don't embrace it and adapt it and accept that that's really the way things are going, they're going to feel the burn. Um, but what it can't replace is I don't think it can replace all of the experience and the years of consultancy and strategy and expertise. It's it's going to read yeah. the data that it has access to and then give an informed decision based on that. But right. there's a reason that agencies come to me because obviously they're sadists and they love a bit of crazy. That's qualified upfront, but it's because of my expertise. It's because of my years of experience on the brand side and the agency side and the tech side and my military background and my medical background and my operations. It's all of those things that come together. I don't know that you can ever replace that with something that's not real. Um, sure. But I think I did, I did a, Mex a, a workshop in Mexico. I do private workshops for my agencies. We're in Mexico at the end of March. And one of the guys who's like <laughs> obsessed with AI and he was like, we're all fucked guys. Like we're all going down. Like AI is going to like a mic drop and everybody's like, Jesus, that wasn't very motivating. Like wow. lightning talk. So I don't think that we're quite there. Um, but I think that in the not too distant future, we will be in that situation. I think once those AI technologies are able to communicate better with each other, then we probably have a bit of a problem. Some, some industries. Copywriting for me, because I was a copywriter writer for so long, and it's been a big part of what I did when you're writing processes and systems, like writing copy has always been case studies, like all of that stuff. And then yeah. when I see ChatGPT, you can, as soon as you go on LinkedIn, you can see who's using ChatGPT and who's not. Yep. Yeah, uh, and I spoke to a friend recently who's in that world, and they were telling me that um, some of their clients are basically doing all of their blog posts through ChatGPT, and all of a sudden their SEO ranking has just tanked because Google uh, can basically—I don't know if it's because Microsoft bought it—and ba yeah, basically it can. I don't know how because it's obviously a genius, but it can basically see which ones are AI uh, or built off AI and which ones are real content. And then yeah. websites are being penalized. Um, so I think for certain things, for creating contracts, for code stuff, I think it can work really well. But I have had some wild conversations with ChatGPT that started off about agencies and retention and ended up very quickly talking about climate change and how yeah. AI was the future. And I was like, well, that was a strange transition. Man. Ah. Yeah, like there's I don't know. so many... No, it, it's it's great. That's a great answer. I mean, there's so many different use cases for it. For me, I've really seen the benefit in like website development. And like for me, I'm not a website developer at all. I built my website on Squarespace, the current version of it anyway. And I needed something to um, appear on the screen in a certain way. And I, I couldn't figure it out. And I thought, I now I got to go on um, Upwork or something and Find hire someone. Hole. I, I, I put it in ChatGPT. I'm like, hey, this is what I got. This is what I wanted to do. Can you update the CSS styling and format it this way? It gave me the code. It showed me how to put it in Squarespace. And the thing works. It's responsive on desktop and on mobile. And it took me 10 minutes, right? So I think for things like that, if you know how to use it properly, uh -huh. right, it will benefit you. But to the point of the blog posts, and I feel like every marketing agency is just spitting out all this content now. And like you said on LinkedIn, you can tell who's using it and who's not. 
I want to ask you a question, but I'll come back to it and I'll kind of tee it up with this. I was on Instagram this morning and I saw a post from Cameron Harold. Um, he's he's big on AI right now, and he's got a friend he says that he wants to connect people with, um, who's running an AI consulting agency for entrepreneurs that are feeling like they're getting left out, and you know they you know don't know enough about the tool and they want to implement it in their business. So on one end, I was like, man, this is a really smart idea. Um, we we need these things because people are feeling that way. And on the other side, I was like, man, this this agency probably just watched all the YouTube videos right? Tested it out and knows like 10% more than everybody else. And I was going to go teach those people and profit off of them. Right. So, and I don't know the individual, so I'm not saying that's what they did, but I feel like there's going to be an uptick in a lot more AI agencies coming out, helping people consult. So we know your thoughts on that, but when it comes to the tool, I, I give you an example of how I'm using it. What is your, what are your thoughts or what are you, what's your opinion on how agencies could or should be using um, AI in in their day-to-day. If you were to continue coaching and bring this into your curriculum, what would you be recommending? Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, I'm I'm certainly not an expert in this space. I can just about point to 10 and read. So it's like, that's not really, and I'm not really an AI specialist. However, I would say that there's a lot of stuff when it comes to contracts. I think Mm -hmm. it's a really good tool for tightening up your contracts and buttoning that up because that's painful and expensive. I think when it comes to processes, you could put your processes, your old outdated process with a lot of bullet points that need to be updated and get those tightened up. Handbooks, employee handbooks, like all of that stuff that's like mundane and you're paying HR specialists a lot of money to do and lawyers a lot of money to do and external professionals like me a lot of money to do. So I would like to think that people can leverage a tool, AI tools, um, to produce some of that stuff to at least get them started. And then it's it's the maintenance. But I mean, you, you know, because your background really, or especially with the, your, your previous company is, is in processes and the systems, yeah. a tool or a platform or a solution is only as good as the time that you put into making it what you need it to be. Just like you worked, that's how we know each other. You worked on a client that I was fractional COO of an agency and you yeah. came in and tightened all the shit up. Um, but it was a lot of shit every, so for me, it's just like, you can have the tools, you can have the templates, you can have the solutions If people are not going to use them and implement them or, or figure out how to, you know, what's the best way to use your project management tool. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. Um, and the other point you made, look, it's like when COVID happened, all of a sudden people were buying liters and liters and liters of antibacterial hand gel and you yeah. know a, a million year supply of toilet rolls and you know face masks and all of this stuff and some people made an absolute small fortune in yes. a very small period of time people that were like working in a supermarket no disrespect to people that work in supermarkets but people working in supermarkets literally just from china ordering millions of masks just investing all of their life savings on loads and loads of masks and then winning contracts with the government for literally millions and millions of dollars to supply yeah. them with all of these maps because they couldn't get their hand on stuff. So there are people, whether it's an opportunist or seeing an opportunity, there are yeah. people that there's going to be TikTok as a trend, AI as a trend, ChatGPT as a trend, NFTs. That and was around not that no long ago. No one's talking about NFTs anymore. Nobody gives a shit. I have companies that invest so much money. I have agencies that specialize in that space. And then people who spent hundreds of thousands of dollars building on Web3 and NFT. And then all yeah. of a sudden said, yeah, forget about it. 
I'm just like, wow, that was an expensive experiment that you've done nothing right. with. So that's just the reality, right? And I think fair play to the people who do that. Um, it's not really my business model because for me, I'm really focused on actual value. It's not uh -huh. about, sure, there's a gap in the market, but all right, I saw a gap in the market with nobody specializing in e-commerce. But at the end of the day, it's about longevity. So yeah. Well, more power to them. It depends on your motivation in business. As entrepreneurs, we you all know you have a conversation for five or ten minutes with an entrepreneur and you know what their motivation is. Are they looking to really bring value? Or are they looking for opportunity and money? Either is fine, but sometimes the two it's just a totally different opinion. I, yeah. I hate finance, so clearly my motivation is not money. And yeah, like I said earlier, it all comes down to goals. Um, you know, we haven't touched on yet, and it, it's another one of these P's. Um, curious to know how important are partnerships to the growth and success of agencies, right? Like Asana is one of our key partners. We do, I'm not going to talk numbers, but we do a lot of business with Asana and their customers, right? HubSpot is another um, partner. We partner with Panadoc and various others. You partner with Clavio. I know they're sponsoring your event in Toronto in a couple of weeks, right? So how important are our partnerships and what does it look like when building those relationships with your with your customers? Yeah, I, I just think it's it's absolutely pivotal. I mean, there's a my husband's Nigerian and one of my favorite African pro one of my favorite proverbs that just happens to be African and he thinks it's because of him, obviously. And it says if you want to go if you want to go far, go alone. And no, if you want to go class, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And for yeah. me, that's been my my business. My first business was called e-commerce partnerships for a reason because in the e-commerce industry, leveraging that partnership ecosystem. And even when I built the business and was super focused on like retainer models and systems and processes, and actually what I ended up creating through default was a community and really it's all down to partnerships and it's leveraging these relationships that I have with my strategic partners, connecting them with my agencies. I've had some agencies that I've, that I work with and they've been on one platform, a leading authority on one platform for 15 years. Yeah. And then another platform that I know that I think is going to be a good fit for them. And they basically just switched over to a totally new platform because they see that that's the next iteration of their business. So it's so beneficial. And like I said before, that statistic, when it comes to closing business, you've got a 40 to 60% chance of closing referrals from partners. So it's a yeah. no brainer. I, I have some agencies that I work with that are doing upwards of a quarter of a million dollars a month in revenue. Some agencies are doing half a million dollars a month in revenue, almost all coming from their strategic partnerships. Right. Um, and again, it's about building an authority around whether it's a platform, a tool, a solution. That's why I said, you know, if I was going to build an agency, it would have Clavio at the core and it would have those key solutions like Gorgeous and Reviews.io and uh, Loyalty Line and Recharge and Rebuy and Plowball, all of those core technologies that all natively integrate into that solution, because I know that I can build a story and experience from the customer on the back of that. Yeah. Um, so I, the truth be told, I probably wouldn't have this business if it wasn't for the partnerships that I've built over the years. Like some of my partners have been my biggest champions. The fact yeah. that Clavia are headlining my conference in Toronto is a testament to the value that they see in the network that I've, or the so community good. that I've created. So it's it's crucial like you you build your tribe and business as an entrepreneur and that's really what will take you to the next level yeah that's good i mean you, you've probably already said it rachel like you, you shared so much today in our in our chat if you had one lesson 
um, or message to share with your ideal customer right now when it comes to scaling um, an agency, doing delivery, focusing on profit? What would be that key message you'd want to leave them with? I think... I think one of the things you said is so important. It's it's goals. It's just like, sure. you know, as I said before we started this, I was wearing my LA Lakers t-shirt there earlier, my gym shirt. And yeah. we have a basketball hoop out here in the garden. Both me and my husband love basketball. And without that backboard, it's really hard to shoot a hoop. And it's like oh. that backboard is like what you're aiming for. That's what your goals are. So I think understanding goals or vision, I think as a business owner, I think that's super important. I think... Another super important thing is numbers, like really knowing your numbers and setting projections and setting goals. It doesn't mean you're necessarily always going to hit those goals, but you have something to aim towards. Um, and then I guess maybe the final one, three is my favorite number. So I'll, I'll go for three. Um, Let's do it. Is understanding your tar target customer and like, uh, don't be afraid to niche down, like really understanding your target customer. The people that I see in business that are super successful, they know whether it's like a specific pain point or a specific like complicate uh, technicality or functionality. The, the more you hone in on who it is that you're looking for, the more clear you are. It's just like dating. I met my husband when I was 23. I knew exactly what I was looking for. Not a six foot four Nigerian, but that's what God gave me. But I knew exactly the profile that I was looking for and the type of person and the characteristics and the expectation I had of that person. So it just meant that I was single up until then, until 23, which at the time felt like forever. Yeah. But then as soon as I met him, I was like, this is what I'm this looking for. And it was likewise for him. And it's the same in business. If I know that I'm looking for agency owners that are doing a certain amount of revenue with you know, at least a seven-figure business that are looking to take their business to the next level or sell it and are putting a leadership team in place and that work hard and play hard and don't take themselves too seriously. Like yep. if they have, you're on that same level, it just, it makes it easier for you to then separate the nine out of 10 people that come my way that want to work with me that I'm like, I'm going to dent your ego pretty quickly. Like you're not, you're, we're not going to be on the same level in terms of our communication style and that's totally fine it's accepting that i'm not for everyone and i don't want to win all business and for Perfect. the one out of ten that we're on the same wavelength it's it's just so much easier to be like okay because when shit gets tough and you have to have really hard conversations you can work hard play hard have really difficult conversations but know that you have each other's back and i think that that's that's why my clients have stayed with me some of them for four years because they know that no matter what happens rachel will figure it out um, so I think, I think for me, that's important goals and vision, knowing the numbers and being very, very clear on who it is you're going after. I think if you have those three things, starting a business, it will get you so much further than other people. Yeah. So well said. It's no wonder why you're the leading authority in this space in the world. So Rachel, if there is a e-commerce agency listening today, where's the best place to send them so they can learn more about you or potentially see if they're a good fit? Yeah. I mean... I would say LinkedIn, but I feel like I've got some sort of like spy setup on my LinkedIn that it just comes up as Rachel J. I, I'm not really too sure how it happened and I, I should check the settings, but I always forget. Or just go straight to my website, ecommerceagencygrowth.com. Perfect. Let's see. Both those way. links will be in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rachel. It was great chatting about this. I, I know we could probably keep talking all day about this, but uh, super appreciate your time and you coming and sharing what you did today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
thanks for listening to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Marquis Murray. If you liked what you heard today, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Don't forget to rate the episode and share it with a friend. 